very welcome to the Calm Projects podcast, where we love to talk about culture, arts, nature, and wellness. How are you doing, Chris? Not too bad, Shane. Not too bad. I didn't step all over your lines this time. No. Well, the, the, the few the few short lines that I have, you know, they're... Yeah. I wouldn't I, want to take I, that I away from you. No, exactly. You know, you, it, that's it. So listen, you're all very welcome here to today's show. For the second part of a show, we tape with uh, Jack O'Sullivan, the director of the Zero Waste Alliance over there at ZWAI. And we had Jack on before, Chris, didn't we? Oh, we've had him on a few times now, and he's always great to have on, like... He's, 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 he's a font of wisdom and, uh, he has a, he has a fairly, fairly, uh, he's got a great attitude yeah. and it's really balanced and positive approach. And I have to yeah. say, isn't it, it's true. It's fair to say, Chris, every time we get off the phone to Jack, we're in a great mood. Yeah. We get invigorated with Ari. Yeah. You know? Yeah. It's great. He's really, it's, he's really, encour- it's really encouraging to listen to what he has to say. So um, on this second part, I recommend you go back and check out the previous shows we did with Jack O'Sullivan. You'll find them on our archives over on Spreaker.com or on the usual podcast uh, hangouts like Spotify, uh, Apple Podcasts, Audible, Google Podcasts. And if you don't want to miss a show, you should probably subscribe. Please subscribe. Oh, well, it's up to you. No pressure. No pressure. No pressure, guys. <laughs> so, yeah, this so, time yeah. we're talking to Jack, and it's mostly about how um, the, the poorer nations were kind of locked out of COP. You know? Yeah, COP26. We covered it a bit, and we did promise, well, we said, we, not that we promised, but we said it would be wise to see how the whole thing kind of goes and be fair mm. to it and see how it plays out. And Jack did make a, a good point, like, to be fair to it, to get that, that, that many nations yeah. around the same table um, is, is, is... Is an accomplishment in itself, like... Yeah, you know, but the reality is, Chris, it was a little bit of a cop out. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, look, it wasn't yeah. wheelchair accessible, was it? No. No, okay. So we won't harp on about that, but um, a real idea, we're going to get into it now. We'll play the show now in a second, but we just wanted to touch base a little bit, which is, and uh, Jack brought up a great point about how, you know, of it's a platform mainly. You know, it, it, it's really the ones with a lot of resources that get most of the yes. the, uh, um, the 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 airtime and the space. The space, yeah, because they have the resources and the money to pump into it to do that. And mm. what me and Chris were very disappointed at, and a lot of people, is the lack of representation for Indigenous peoples. Yeah, because they're they're the ones that are most affected, really. Yeah, I mean, as far as the climate change thing, that's just one part of it. Well, but as far as, as that, there's as a lot of other... Habitat destruction and all affects them more directly than it would anyone else. I mean, if you're an indigenous tribe in the Amazon and they're cutting down the rainforest around you, like, that's taking away your food source, it's taking away your... You know, and it's stripping the heritage and culture away, like, because it's forcing people to change their lifestyle completely. Yeah, and as uh, uh, Mustafa Jeremiah, the UNIF um, uh, ambassador to the Shia tree, pointed out, the, p- the people that are doing that, it's really, it's the quick gain. It's the quick yeah. money kind of approach. And that kind of approach has been proven to be an ultimate fail, ultimate, like, total, total failure to think that these quick, basically yeah. quick, rich schemes that are in my yeah. opinion, heavily based on, you know, just like, exploitation, like, essentially. Um, is 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 uh? It's just throwing fuel on the fire that is our home. Hmm. Basically, they're trying to put out the fires of petrol. You know, yeah, so it's. 
But anyway, we, we, we get into it. Well, we don't get into all of that, but... Um, yeah. We, we touch on it. We touch on it, and and and, and it was a great great point uh, um, Jack made about th- there's 138 other developing countries that are suffering most from climate change, and they get very little look in or into the mm. into the conversation. So that's why we felt like it was really important to come back to this, and we'll be coming back to it more. But the conversation is going to shift; it'll be the same general thing. But we won't be cop anymore. We're moving on from there. It's time to get practical and move on. And see what other see. Let's listen. I really, I, I, I really, I'm really encouraged, Chris, that from these different guests and and, and groups we've reached out to and we've we've linked up with and spoken to from different regions around yes. the world. It, there, there is some. Um, there's a lot of positive positives to it in the sense that the solutions are there, but we really do need to link up together and and, and show solidarity with each other and get things. Solve the the problem from a grassroots level. Mm. You know, that's it. And acknowledge, okay, look, you know, everybody, you know, everybody has different roles that they're good in, and I think if we can all work out how we can best leverage our time uh, towards solving this stuff, you know, it's really kind of um, Mm. beyond essential now. It's become survival now at this point. Like, that's it. Yeah. So with that, we'll roll on the yeah. show, and uh, we should be, be, we'll uh, we'll see us on the other side. Where were we? We were talking about. Uh, you were telling us about um, some studies from the states to do with fracking. Oh yes, and there was a, quite a, a number of papers coming out of a particular university in Texas, and it wasn't until we looked at the at uh, what people were saying that particular university department was funded by the gas industry. Yeah, yeah, of course. These are sure. and lectures and, and people publishing in journals. So mm-hmm. even in, in universities are generally generally okay, but you still have to be a little bit careful mm. because the whole nature of universities has changed. When I went to college, I was very much um, impressed, I suppose, or not impressed, but. In, enlightened by the ideas of a university which were written in great detail by a man who was a founder of UCD, uh, John Henry Newman. He was a cardinal of the Catholic Church. And he said that a university is like a community of people, a community, is that nice? Living together and working and living and studying and researching and so on. And then that that was not too bad, and a lot of universities behaved like that. When I was in university for a while in Cork, it was changing a little bit, but it was still okay. Small number of students, everyone knew everyone else. There was a good atmosphere, and then the government said, you got to grow. You must grow, get more students, and get more money. And they became, basically, over those years now, slowly but surely, multinational corporation. Mm. No university of any description exists purely within the boundaries of its own country. They're setting up, um, how do I put it, partnerships with universities in China, in other countries. And the whole purpose is to get money. Mm. And then they will link in with the big pharmaceutical company who will set up a chair or a professorship more money. Mm. And then you look at how this changes research. There is 
still some very good research being done, thanks to people who actually love science. But a lot of research is done simply because um, there are areas where you know you'll get funded. Yeah. Company wants that kind of data. And there should be researched and don't get looked at because no particular company is going to benefit by it. But on the whole, we are still muddling along fairly well with our research in Ireland. Yeah, one of the problems is, though, um, if the research is coming out with a result that's not beneficial to the funder, the research kind of just gets shut down and put away. <laughs> um, it can do. I've not seen this very much. It's allowed to fade away a little bit. It's hmm. not quite, there wouldn't be a sort of shutdown. There are enough people in universities to kick up a big stink if that happened. What seems to happen is um, it gets funded a little bit less. Mm. Then a researcher moves on to where there is more funding. And then you say, well, you were looking at some particular thing a few years ago. Um, well, how did that research go? Well, we didn't, we didn't feel we were getting anywhere, which really means we ran out of money because no funding was coming. Yeah. But there is a realization among a lot of researchers and, and even among companies who fund this, quite often, if you fund something that is really exotic and doesn't seem to have a use for it, it might turn out to be the key discovery of the future. Transistors were, were not invented to become transistors. People just discovered how uh, if you put the different kinds of metals together, electrons could move from one to the other in a particular one layer uh, to another in a particular way. And we had the transistor. They weren't seeking to invest, invent it. So a lot of stuff goes on. I, I, I heard an interesting kind of anecdote about that, actually, was that it was, you know, the, the first use for it was as um, a practical joke. It could be. It could be. Um, they, were, they were building up the capacity and then shocking each other, you know, just sneak up behind someone and go. <laughs> One area of research, which I love because it's <laughs> absolutely damned exciting, and that's cosmology. You know, looking at what's going on out there in the universe. And yesterday I was reading about two black holes merging at a distance of one billion light years away from us, which means that the uh, gravitational wave which propagated through the universe caused by this incredible explosion took a billion years to travel to us, which means that the event which we could detect with our detectors took place one billion years ago. When you think about the size of the place and the different kinds of objects that are present, stars, galaxies, nebulae, um, supergiant black holes, small black holes. And I saw a lovely film as well too, a speeded up film of the stars in the center of our galaxy, literally hurtling around uh, because there's a black hole in the center and it's invisible. But you can see by the motions of the stars around it that something is there, they're whirling around something. And that film has taken over 20 years, you know, in individual shots, but you then speed it up with a series of images. Mm. So there's an incredible amount of stuff being, being learned and understood. Yeah, and the technology is developing all the time as well. That there's just the 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 the, the clarity of the images now that they can get mm. is unreal. It truly like, Shane. Hubble was fabulous. You know the images that came back from Hubble were incredibly powerful. 
exciting too as well. Really exciting. But um, now you've got like technology that was like the top of the range, cutting edge in the hands of amateur astrophotographers. Actually, now, like, um, have you seen any of Carl's stuff that we have in our ex- exhibit? I haven't, and I must have a look. But amateur mm. astronomy is very good because you have thousands of tens of thousands worldwide looking through moderate-sized telescopes. But the sheer numbers of people observing is, is very good because something can be picked up that the big observatories don't have time to look at. And and Sean Citizen in Ireland or Guillermo Citizen in, in, in Spain or Italy discovers something and then the big telescopes can turn to it and see it. This is what we call citizen science. Yeah, it's great, actually. Yeah, I love that sense. And it's a good... Um like going back to like what we we're talking about research or you know it's kind of, it's honest research you know they're, 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 it's honest science you know they're not biased and that's where the citizens can be very very good they're not likely to be biased they're doing it because they want to do it in their mm. so citizen, citizen science can be very good at say monitoring air pollution mm. air quality if you have a couple of hundred people in the city with air monitors and they're looking at the amount of dust being generated, they're looking at the amount of CO2 or carbon monoxide or hydrocarbons, that's much better better than anything the EPA can do. Oh, yeah. And there was other initiatives as well. Um, there was the insect kind of counting thing where they used um, a grid to put over your reg plate to see what kinds of how many insects were actually kind of getting caught by cars. Oh, to, to measure the population. This was a good few years ago now. That's really interesting. Mm. Uh, insects have declined, and, and the mm. awful thing, which really didn't come up very much for discussion in COP26, was the loss of species worldwide. Oh, yeah, it's shocking. Like, I mean, as the insects decline, birds decline. Birds decline, yeah. And, and as birds decline, you know. The most prolific animals on the world now are. Um, animals in captivity to feed human beings, hmm. cattle. The sheer weight, I remember reading something like this about a week ago, the sheer weight of, of um, animals housed to, to feed humans exceeds the weight of all other live creatures combined. And Jack, and, and there's, there was something I, I, I'd love to, I'd love to get, your, get your thoughts on is, uh, to do with with COP and 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 and, and the actions that are, 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 are we're making moves towards taking now the, the idea of net zero, so oh. they're they're, ta- they're talking about as opposed to talking about zero, it's 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 offsetting really. Is that is that the kind of code word that's going on there when they say net zero? Net zero is a good idea which can be misused. The idea being that you're going to pollute so you grow a forest somewhere else, or pay someone to grow a forest for you. Um, If it's done properly, it can be okay, but it's far better to simply stop emitting carbon dioxide. Hmm. And And I I think there's a way that you can just buy carbon credits now as well, isn't there? You can. And one of the horrific things I find is that, I have to do more research on this ourselves, is that let's take a cement plant in Ireland. They normally burn petroleum coke or heavy fuel oil or coal. They grind that up with the um, with the waste. Yeah, the, the mixture of shale and and limestone, and they burn it at a temperature of fourteen hundred degrees centigrade. Now, some years ago, in order to save their their expenses, they started using waste, 
And this, of course, means that they're now cutting down on their fossil fuels. But if they have an allowance under the emissions trading scheme to burn so many thousand tons of fossil fuels or to emit so many thousand tons of carbon dioxide, and they're not using all of that allowance, they can sell it. So in that way, they are gaining financially from burning plastic and paper. They don't burn tin cans. You don't get much heat out of a glass bottle. It's really plastic and paper, plus a fair share of motor car tires, vehicle tires, which are either fed in whole or chopped up. So they're doing well. And they're doing well because under the current legislation, which is there's a lot of pressure now to change this. Um, in Europe, we think about waste as a renewable resource on the basis, uh, we'll always have the stuff, we've got to do something with it. And to some extent, that's true, because burning it is probably better than putting it into a landfill. But if we managed our waste properly, and this is where Zero Waste Alliance Ireland is pushing as hard as we can, um, we wouldn't need to be um, burning it. And what, what goes wrong is very simple. You imagine in your office, in your household, in your shop, you do not produce waste. You produce discarded stuff you don't want. It could be plastic, it could be paper, it could be cardboard, it could be glass, it could be metal. So why can't we recycle? Why can't we reduce the amount of stuff we discard? Much less packaging. We do need some packaging after all. You can't... Um, now the packaging thing is one definitely that was on my radar for a long time. It's just so over the top, like... Big problem. Jack O'Sullivan from the Zero Waste Alliance Ireland. That's ZWAI.ie. We thought Jack would be a great person to come in to talk a bit uh, about COP26 with. To be fair to it all, to get over 180 countries together around, I nearly said a table, but a series of tables. Yeah. I'm doing. And I had some faith in it because when you think about the European Union, we have 27 countries, all different languages, uh, different cultures, different histories. And yet we always seem to get through it by dint of a long, long meetings and discussions far into the night. And it always ends up with a compromise. And yet yeah. when you look at this, there are really only a few countries that stand out as being, how they put it, errant or kind of not really helpful. Look at Brazil, for example, burning coal and destroying the Amazon. Australia mining coal like as if there was no tomorrow. Mm. India still not doing great. And the big thing in COP26 was that the rich nations, that's United States, Europe primarily, Britain too as well particularly, just did not wish to give more than they put, than could possibly squeezed out of them, helped the 138 developing countries, which are the ones that are suffering most from climate change. 
and, and that was very disappointing. We were quite disappointed to see what seemed to be a fairly like a, a lack of representation as far as developing countries. I know they were represented, but whether they were heard or not is another is another issue. And I mean, isn't it true that the biggest lobbyists, the group of lobbyists that was there was from from petrol and fossil fuel? So how is that really a level platform then if 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 when you can't afford to go and to be represented, it's not really level? On the other hand, what is much stronger this time and wouldn't have been as strong 20 years ago is the global youth strike, the People's Summit. I, I like the idea of biodegradables because, I mean, mm -hmm. most food products, the biodegradable plastic will last longer than the food products. Yeah, biodegradability, again, that has to have standards because there are things which are said to be biodegradable. You put them into your compost heap, you open up the compost heap a year later, and they're still there. So what is really biodegradable? And biodegradability also requires that the stuff, whatever is supposed to be biodegradable, is in the right location. Newspaper is nicely biodegradable. Yet, I know from looking at research results I saw years ago, in the United States, somebody dug up a landfill and they found newspapers from the 1950s and 1960s. Yeah. To biodegrade something, you need oxygen for the microbes to work. You need the microbes, and the microbes also need some nutrients, like we do, nitrogen, phosphorus, and so on. So give them oxygen, nutrients, and they're okay. They'll work away. But put them into something like a landfill, bury them down where there's no oxygen, it gets completely anaerobic, completely anoxic, then biodegradation is extremely slow. So biodegradation can be good if it's properly designed, if things are designed. That's it. I mean, even even with a standard compost heap, you have to turn it every now and then to make sure that it gets aerated. Like, And not only that, Chris, you're absolutely right, but you have to ensure the mixture is right. Hmm. Our compost heap in 2020 here in Ballymanus wasn't great, but in, 20, no, in 2021 it wasn't great. But in 2020, I had a lot more time, and my nearest and dearest partner had more time as well. And we managed it quite well. We put in the correct mixture of green grass, which um, doesn't compost very well. It goes into a kind of a slimy green mass. And we also put in lots of old strawy grass, hmm. high in carbon and low in nutrients. So that doesn't get very well. But mix it raises the temperature and increases the bacteria. Yeah, mix the two together and mm -hmm. you get the right, the right proportion of what we call nitrogenous stuff, which is like green grass, and carbonaceous stuff, which is like old dead grass and straw and paper even. So it and wood, wood as well as wood, wood as, well. as well. Now, wood tends to be slower because mm. lignin in wood breaks down very slowly. But wood will be was ideal. Sawdust, for example, is a great source of carbon. So if you have a lot of green grass cuttings, you can add sawdust, and that will give you the carbon. So composting is an art in itself, and we don't really do it very well. For example, I've seen in some other countries where in an apartment block, somebody who's generally a pensioner or somebody wants a bit of extra money, he or she will go around to every apartment once a day or every two days and collect all the biodegradable stuff mm. separately before it gets mixed up with the with the tins with and the, the regular stuff. <laughs> and he goes around with a little bucket, and it, and at the corner of the 
place where the apartment is down below, there's a little composting unit. And so he or she has been taught how to compost, learns to do it, produces compost, and gives it back to people who have window boxes or maybe some little um, allotment of a garden somewhere. Mm. But it's best done at local level by people working with other people, not by big companies coming in and, and, and taking it by the ton. And what do they do with it? They then sell it back to you if you yeah. want garden compost. And the difficulty they have is some big companies collecting my compostable stuff, my brown bean waste. So a lot of people just throw their plastic into it. And it turns out to be pretty dirty stuff. Mm. A few companies which have tried composting have run into trouble in Ireland because their main, their main focus was not in producing a good compost, but in earning enough money. And how do you earn money? You take the worst, stinkiest waste that people don't want, and you say to them, that person, I compost that waste for you. Suddenly the place is stinky around. Mm. And this happened a few times. So, and, and, and there's a very... A wonderful way of dealing with some waste as well as anaerobic digestion. Yeah. Put the waste into a container. It should be liquid. You warm it up. Uh, methane is given off. And this is a big and provided that methane doesn't leak, you can now burn the methane as fuel. And that actually is a kind of renewable resource. Yeah. Um, there's, there's a big there's a big company in uh, NACE has done that now. Uh, Green Generation, I think it is. I've heard of them, yeah. Now, some of them do very well, and, and it would be unfair to, to paint all these companies with the same brush. Um, some of them really are good, and they're genuine, and they're doing what needs to be done. Hmm. Others see it as, as a kind of a, oh, a quick buck. Hmm. Unfortunately, the waste industry um, isn't, doesn't really attract the, the best people. Sometimes there are good waste companies. And there are also some people who are there that are, you guys own a lorry. Look what happened in Donegal. There was a program on um, RTE some years ago. And there were at least two waste companies in Donegal. Instead of dumping the waste into a landfill where they would have had to pay money, they were just piling it up at the back of a shed. Yeah. Warehouse. Thousands of tons of it. And that had to be cleaned up at taxpayers' expense. Yeah. And look at it. <laughs> Look at uh, the Irish steel down in um, in Hall Bowling Island, in Cork Harbour, mm. a beautiful place. And uh, a certain company just was dumping for, let me think, 90, at least half a century, very toxic waste, which cost again the state 50 or 60 or 70 million to clean it up. Oh, yeah. I mean, sure. Um, Dublin City Centre had an area like that as well years ago, didn't they? Um... It was where the gas works used to be in Dublin. Yeah. That, and they had to spend that, that, they had to spend something like three million yeah, cleaning up it. Up because gas works, the way we used to produce town gas in the old days, it went on for a century at least. Hmm. We heated coal in a closed steel tube called a retort. Hmm. And that gave off the gas, which was then cleaned by um I don't know how they actually cleaned it. But there would have been a lot of uh, moisture, a lot of tarry liquids. Yeah. And the gas then got piped around to homes. And the tarry liquids got sold as tar, known as coal tar. Yeah. And the stuff left behind in the retort was coke, which you bought at your local coal merchant. Yeah. 
And this is almost pure carbon, and you could burn it in your stove at home. And uh, but then there was the toxic wastes that were just kind of yeah. dropped. Where the gas works uh, were located, the the stuff leaked. It was thrown around, mm. and there was a lot of toxic material there. Mm. There's a lot of toxic sites in Europe and in the United States too. Mm. And we're also exporting toxic waste to third world countries. That's not fun. We're doing no. a lot still, yeah. despite all the prohibitions. Um, in Usher, um, we, were, we were looking at stuff like the rivers of plastic bottles and in, in the likes of uh, Sierra Leone and Uganda. And, you know, it's horrific to watch it, Chris. Yeah, it is. It's the sheer size of it. Hmm. I think they, there are 300 million tons of plastic in or is that the amount produced every year? I don't know. Like, I don't know. I mean, there's the floating islands of plastic. There's two of them in the sea as well. And so there are like, huge changes have got to be done and done quickly. We can't yeah. wait ten years, twenty years. We've got to. Do no, I mean, like, like, um, what is it? There's, there's turtle rescue foundations now because, like, turtles are becoming more and more endangered because of plastic. They're getting caught in old drift nets and. I think governments have to step in and and Mm. because it's no good government saying, okay, you know, do your bit, recycle, take less packaging. But if you can't take less packaging, if the shop packages everything and you can't leave your packaging behind in the shop or bring it back to the shop. Um, Some some are doing that now, like Lidl, Aldi and Tesco are doing that. Um, It's 11 hours. It's of my speaking clock telling me it's eleven o'clock. Mm. <laughs> Reminding you of the time. Yeah, um, yeah. This has been done now for years in some countries, mm. where a big supermarket would have an area set aside and you brought in your waste. I always thought that was very good because number one, as you put your your discarded stuff into the different receptacles, people were looking at you. Yeah. And it, in a dirty tin, say, of cat food that you had not washed out or was smelly, somebody might say, hey, come on, you, what are you doing? You're going to mess up the rest of us. Yeah. Whereas if you throw it into your into your recycling bin, it gets nobody better. sees it. Nobody sees it. So that's a very good way of doing it. And the, the shop has to take responsibility for it then as well. And again, oh, yeah. in the question of transparency, where does it go? There was a lovely program Recently, an RTE, I think it's one of the science series, and the interviewer was being shown around some big materials recovery facility and shown how all the plastic was separated out and the paper was separated. And we saw the conveyor belts with the people on each side uh, taking out the stuff. She never asked the question or was never told the answer where does it actually go? And this is where we're, we're fooling ourselves because. The government statistics say, oh, 70% of our paper is recycled. And I say, okay, where's the paper mill? It's using all this recycled paper. It's well, it's shipped off to other countries. Shipped out to other countries. Using fuel and, you know. Yeah. And, and sometimes the other countries might be making paper out of it, or they might not. No, they might be burning it. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. <laughs> oh, guys, that was a great discussion. Mm. Yeah, it's it's such a vast topic, Jack, and we're very, very grateful for you that you've taken oh, yeah. the time Thanks to come in. For, yeah. And we look forward to talking to you again. Next time we leave with transport and mm. we get 
on some ways too as well, and we'll see what is the fallout over some time from COP twenty six. Yeah, we're gonna we're gonna keep following that, and um, we, yeah. we're keeping an eye. We've some we've some nice guests coming in next month as well. He'll he'll definitely have uh, have an opinion on that. Yeah, some indigenous <laughs> people who'll have. Mm. Yeah, yeah. I'm a great believer in the wisdom of indigenous people. Mm. Absolutely. If they haven't been destroyed by Western society, they actually yeah. have a lot of the answers. Like, yeah. Even even in some of the most industrialized countries, there's still indigenous peoples. Um, like there's the An 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 Anani in Japan, uh-huh. which are are like the like they're a traditional kind of um. They live in as close to nature as possible. Yeah, but they're gradu—they're gradually disappearing, though. That's another topic, Chris and Shane, that we have to deal with. How yeah. we're becoming disconnected from nature. Mm-hmm. Mm. Three disconnects: we're being disconnected from each other, we're being disconnected from society, society is being disconnected from us. We're disconnected from nature, and we need to reestablish all of those connections. We talk about that. Yeah, brilliant, great, Jack. Okay, we we look forward to that, and I'm sure our audience is going to look forward to that as well. So yeah. we 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 wish we wish you the very best, Jack. And um, if you need any time, just give us a shout, and we'll be in touch again. We do indeed. It's always fun chatting with you and listening to your questions and trying to answer them. Not that I can answer any of them, but I try anyway. We right. we only ask the questions because we love the answers. Ah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Greetings to everyone out there and talk again soon. Thanks, Jack. All the best. Thank you. Thanks. Thanks very much. Well, Chris, that was brilliant. Jack O'Sullivan back again. And we look forward to having Always always an invigoration, all right? Ah, yeah. Brilliant. And you can find Jack, the director of uh, the Zero Waste Alliance Ireland, over there on www.zwai.ie. And I really might recommend anybody interested in Zero Waste or anybody who's only just heard about this, go and check it out. Like this guy has really laid the groundwork and, and, and done, he's been working for years on this stuff. He really understands it. And I highly recommend um, checking out the Zero Waste Alliance Ireland or Zero Waste in your region. It's actually a global yeah, there's, movement. There's a lot of different ones. Like there's Australia, there's America, there's, you know. Scottish, kind of there's, there, yeah. there, there's European ones. So... Um, the right so to repair that's worth mentioning as well Chris that's another mm. one well worth um, the ball is rolling big time on that now that's it yeah the, that's it yeah. yeah and we will have Jack O'Sullivan back uh, next in, in the new year early in the new year uh, in January we'll have Jack um, at a round table discussion uh, with uh, Mustafa Jarma and another gentleman, his name escapes you now, but um, he's he, he, he's he's a colleague of Jack's um, from the EU uh, who has a huge interest in uh, the circular circular economy, the right to repair, and uh, the plastic problem. Um, so we came across his work and we're like, we got to get him on. So we're having a round table about marine biology. And Chris has also gone away in a bit on that as well. He's very well read on, on the subject. So I'm looking forward I'll, to that, Chris. Although, although I'm not a professional, I am an, ad, an, an, an interested amateur. Yeah, but you, you, in, you, in fairness to you, Chris, mm-hmm. you, you're a holistic therapist. And in fairness, I think that has definitely a valid... Um, part of the conversation yeah. when you're talking about global uh, biology and marine biology mm. you know um, it does have to be looked at holistically um, yeah. 
all parts are moving. Yeah, you know, like things like I don't know. We'll see what 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 we get into, but like things yeah. like you know the fact that the the the, the coral reefs right now are like uh, about to go about to be bleached, like unless yeah, there's like something I don't and know. I don't like, even if an area of coral reef is kind of removed, it, like a small area, it takes fifty years for it to grow back. Like yeah, and know, I'm, I'm pretty sure was... what's the story with the carbon sink on that stuff, like. Well, it takes in a fair whack of carbon. I say so, yeah. Yeah. It's typically a plant, like, you know, so it grows and absorbs carbon into itself. It's a carbon-based life form. And that carbon stays trapped until the coral collapses, which after it becomes bleached, it starts to collapse because it's no longer alive, you know? Yeah. It starts to decay. And then um, and then there's the other the other wildlife mm, in the environment that, that really yeah. depends on that. And, then there's also deep sea mining and stuff like that as well, which is, you know, shall we get into it? We get into it when we have the experts here. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah. Okay, guys, listen, if you can, please try and remember to help each other help us all. And thanks again for tuning in and all the best. Thank you so. Slong, folks.